Hello and welcome to the Ask Mr. DNS podcast. This is episode 52, and I'm Cricket Lou, your co-host, along with Matt Larson, your other co-host. And today we are at the Inside Baseball event. I don't know which Inside Baseball this is, 6th, 7th, 8th, about that? Um, something like something that. Like it's that. been going on a good long while, that's for sure. So thank you to Salesforce for hosting us at the Salesforce Galactic Headquarters in San Francisco. <laughs> we have a whole room full of people who are going to be on the podcast today. Uh, we're not in our usual secret underground soundproof podcasting state-of-the-art bunker. <laughs> so yeah, no. so the, the audio quality might be a little less than our uh, typical exceedingly high standards. Uh, yes. In fact, I'm not even seeing a waveform. <laughs> no, no, no. When you, oh, when you laugh, it appeared. See, that was it. You were all being too quiet. None of our listeners were actually going to believe that you were all really, really here. It's usually it's usually Matt and his dogs and me and my dogs and no, nobody else. It's very sad. <laughs> all right, well, it's been so long since we've done one of these that we don't have a huge queue of questions. We have one, so we thought we'd do that, and we thought we would open it up. Um, we had an interesting discussion today about various different DNS topics, and we thought maybe we'd just open it up and let people talk about what we talked about and get sort of a, a recap discussion of that. But before we do that, let's actually answer a question. Do we want to have the fake mailbag? Yes. Uh, Here we go. All right. Yeah, that's the mailbag. No, we're showing our, uh, how the mailbag works. All right. We open the mailbag. This is from David Marr. Uh, uh, he uh, has a gmail.com address, so he could be anywhere. Any, don't know who he is. But David Marr asks, so you have a lot of podcasts now these days. Can you provide your users, users, listeners, the recommended quote-unquote starter DNS podcast? Providing the best place to get an overview of DNS and your podcasts. Do you think that there's really a, another DNS <laughs> podcast? <laughs> I, I, think this, I think this is it. <laughs> I, I, it's not clear to me <laughs> that there's another DNS podcast, but there might be um, there might be other networking podcasts, and there's certainly lots of uh, internet-based sources of information about DNS. If you want to learn about DNS on the cheap and not buy, for example, a good book on the subject, what good book would that be? <laughs> <laughs> you could buy a copy of, say, DNS and Bind, published you, by. O'Reilly Media. I'd have the ISBN handy, but uh, <laughs> easy enough to use the Google. Yeah, actually, so I have no, sadly, I get no royalties from that particular book, but I will, so I can recommend it without uh, uh, any financial self interest. But uh, chapters one and two are a very good overview of DNS. If you don't want the whole operational how to work with Bind, uh, you can still buy the book and read the first two chapters and get a really good DNS overview. And I'm perfectly happy to have you buy the book, read the first two chapters, and then just burn it or throw it away. That's okay with me. I get the royalties regardless. Um, so should we open it up to the room? What other internet resources are there, or for that matter, any resources, if you wanted to come up to speed on DNS? There's some good YouTube videos, actually. YouTube videos. That's a, that's a good suggestion. Yeah, I think there are a lot of, a lot of companies, including Infoblox even, have, have published some sort of how-to uh, or how DNS works videos. I think that's a that's a good suggestion. I think the folks at Dyn have done quite a few DNS videos. Yeah, they're funny simple. and informative. Yeah, that's right. DNS Simple has done that. Yeah. Casey told me he has a game that illustrates how to start DNS, how DNS works. Oh yes, uh, yeah, something I used in uh, in a college class that I teach on networking. We taught in the DNS, and uh, um, it's probably too too lengthy to explain here, but. Uh, 
Um, but certainly there are some interactive uh, ways to learn that. Um, passing a ball around in between a resolver and authoritative servers to learn how this works. It, we used to do that when we taught DNS classes way back when we ran, ran Acme Byte and Wire. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's something something pretty similar. I think Mike Milligan really got into the throwing the balls around, as I, as I recall. <laughs> he did. He did. Well, did, one of the magical have, things about Did you have DDoS attacks in your... In your uh... <laughs> <laughs> it, was a, it, was a, it was a simpler time on the internet. <laughs> before before cash poisoning. <laughs> Yeah, Does this mean that it's all DNS until someone loses an eye? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Mom said not to play DNS in the house. How do you do uh, amplification attacks? Yeah. But one of the nice things about internet technologies, DNS included, is that you can learn all about them on the internet for free, generally speaking. So you don't have to go buy a, an expensive, overpriced book on the subject. You can, uh, you can do that through YouTube and, and any number of other sources out there. Probably find the book online pirated for free too. Huh? Yeah, there's been a uh, there's a Ukrainian site that's had the fourth edition up for the longest time, and we've never been able to get it taken down. So there you go. So we we uh, we managed to to conjure up a, an invasion of Ukraine to distract them to try to take <laughs> it down, but it didn't work. All right. Well, so what do we talk about today? What other what can we talk about now? Anybody want to throw out a topic that we talked about and we can kind of rehash it? Otherwise, we're only at uh, five, five and a half minutes. minutes. <laughs> Shortest episode ever. Well, we were we were going to talk a little bit about uh, DNS NG, the the possibility of a of a new DNS protocol to replace the current one. Yeah, because we spent the day talking about all kinds of various deficiencies and problems, and it, it it came up only, but it was sort of so exhausting at the end of the day that nobody really wanted to broach the topic. But maybe we can have have the discussion here. So DNS DNSNG is it time? Do we need it? What does that even mean? I know what Dwayne's DNSNG is. Well, you've sort of joked about it, right? Oh, just, just DNS over HTTP? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> just be done with port 53? Just throw in the towel. Admit, admit defeat. Right. Well, in the so we were talking about that. Cricket Wayne and I went to breakfast this morning. We were talking about that in the context of the um, uh, research that AP Nick has done on uh, V6 fragments and how they, they simply don't work. But there's so many places that um, you simply can't uh, receive fragments over V6. So that leads people to wonder, I mean, how, how viable is it to do UDP 53? I mean, you know TCP 80 is going to work. So, so sadly, that's sort of become the new, the new guaranteed transport. Well, not, it's been that way for some time, I think, on the internet. So the path of least resistance is rather than try to get your protocol through even an old established protocol like UDP 53 for DNS, you just say, fine, we'll just do TCP 80 and be done with it because we know it'll work. I mean, I, I don't think it's such a bad idea. I think it's, we're already seeing um, standardization of DNS over HTTP as a protocol idea in the ITF. In fact, if you go, so we're gonna make it come over to Mike. Dave, do you wanna talk about that? Sure, so uh, the ITF is just on the verge of uh, chartering a new working group. It's called DO, just like Homer Simpson would say. 
for uh, trying to standardize how to do uh, DNS over HTTPS. And uh, so the motivation of that group here and participation in it might vary a little depending on whether you're a DNS type person or an HTTP person, but it's uh, primary initial action will be uh, essentially looking how to proxy DNS requests through HTTP. So this is definitely an idea that seems like its time has come, and people have already experimented with this already. There's informal ways to do DNS over JSON and DNS packet format over over TCP. Um, I mean, over HTTP. Uh, you know, so it sort of feels like it's in the air. Mm -hmm. What would be? I'll, I'll pose this question to Dave. What would be the advantages of, of doing DNS over HTTP versus say DNS over TLS? Right. Um, so uh, the interesting thing about DNS over TLS right now is we don't have very good signaling to let you know when you should actually be able to use a TLS connection to talk mm. between DNS servers. And whereas by using HTTPS and a well-defined port for it, uh, it's already something that's permitted through firewalls. It's you know it's just a transition into being able to use it for uh, secure private connections. It's a lot more effective than the than the boot up so far on TLS. And when you say well-defined port, you mean 443, or right, you mean, exactly. okay. Right. And uh, I should actually mention that at the last IETF, uh, uh, Daniel Kahn Gilmore at the ACLU had demonstrated an interesting hack where he uh, showed that essentially you could uh, run a server on port 443 that would be automatically able to differentiate when to just proxy a DNS request versus when to take a CPU request. Because the first couple of bytes allowed him to identify, which kind of he was not suggesting it should be standardized, but he was demonstrating just you know how easy it would be to multiplex a port for both services. Right, a proof of concept. Yeah, I remember. I remember hearing about that. Yeah. So solved then. Yeah, we're done actually. I don't know why we started the group. Yeah. <laughs> but this sort of, in my mind, leads naturally into another topic, which Oliver, you raised this today, if I may attribute this to you. Um, <laughs> asking, the, asking the question, is, is DNS, is it really two protocols instead of one, or is it time to think about, about it in terms of two protocols instead of one? Do you want to say more about that? Yeah. Uh, when the DNS protocol was defined, it has this one bit in the packet header that tells us whether this is supposed to be extra work done by the receiver of the DNS query, i.e. whether you want recursive service or not. And uh, that is, uh, so stuff resolvers have this bit on and they send it to the recursor and the recursor then takes this and sends it without that bit to the authorized server. Well, maybe the protocol should have been defined as two different ports so you could have run the same thing on the same address, uh, these two servers on, different, on the same address. But another here, the, what the resolvers, stuff resolvers want is sometimes very different from what the recursive resolvers want or do. For example, if you send uh, from a resolver extra things like you have both A and quad A records in the answer section when somebody asks for one, most likely the stub resolver will accept it. But most of the recursive resolvers will throw a fit. If they see it, they will either throw away what they didn't ask for or they throw away the whole thing. Well, we've already seen this basically happen with SMTP. Yeah. And, and it's, I mean, it's effectively still, as I understand it, some people are more male people here than I am, but it's effectively still the same protocol, but we just change ports. We have a few female people here. <laughs> Sorry. 
So the point is, there. I mean, that that's a simple precedent to point to, or easy one, I should say. Yeah. And there are there's certainly others. Well, I, in fact, maybe we could invite Sarah to comment on the distinction about when we talk about uh, DNS privacy and securing the channels of communication. What that might look like for a client talking to a resolver could be very different from what it would look like for a resolver talking to an authority. It is uh, has to be very different. Yeah, I mean, we, you have to. Um, the, the difference in the model that a client normally has established resolvers or a handful it talks to, or if you move into a different environment, you're at least choosing to use the resolvers through a coffee shop network, for example. But when you have the resolver talking to the authoritative, it has to go and talk to whatever authoritative it needs to to get the answer. And very, you know, commonly there can be no um, relationship already established there, which means authenticating that far end is a far bigger challenge on that side of the resolution. Um, whereas on the client side, at least there are out-of-band channels where you can signal capabilities and authentication information. And uh, if I can expand on that a little, too, I think that's one of the things that makes the possible application of uh, the Quick UDP Interconnect Protocol. Mm -hmm. uh, Quick, uh, that Google originally pioneered for HTTP, very interesting in the context of the DNS, too, because that is trying to establish the how can you um, set up a secure connection with you know good semantics for this type of connection with a server that you might not have the prior recognition but still make it a very efficient uh, performance now I haven't read the charter for the um, DNS over HTTP proposed working group yet but is DNS over quick in scope at all no that's being undertaken so it, it, it's, yeah. is the group looking at um, whether you're going to, you know, per what, what you just said about the tight relationship between the stubs and, and the recursive resolvers, is that the place where you want to do DNS over HTTPS? Or is it really between the recursive servers and the authoritative servers? Where is the big win if we did do that? Well, well to, I'll let Sarah do the quick yeah, part. Go ahead, Sarah. So for, for quick, that does seem to fit more naturally from the recursive to the authoritative because it has the, the performance element in it and it's also more flexible terms of that side. The HTTPS question, I think it's very open as to what the use cases are for but that fits into the infrastructure. Right. Uh, but it does seem like the HTTPS case is going to be more relevant to the client to recursive side of the transactions mm -hmm. than up to the authority. Yeah, and in many of these cases people will use this as a, a way to get around the network filtering that is happening on the random network they are on at that moment. Mm -hmm. uh, are you going to trust the, your local coffee shop to give you good answers? Do you trust the random open uh, network you end up on? Yeah. So. Or if you are trying to await uh, some other sensoring authority. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. Well, what other topics did we talk about that would be worth recapping? Ah, you sent out an interesting mail this morning. How <laughs> 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 quickly we all are <laughs> <laughs> okay, what, uh, what, what day is it? It's, we're recording on, uh, on Thursday, September 28th. And uh, uh, over the past 24 hours, the news has come out that um, ICANN is postponing the root case K-roll. So I've spent the, yeah, the last year and a half, as have other people from ICANN and VeriSign, going around telling everyone that October 11th, is the day I'm so tired of saying October 11th and now I don't have to say it anymore because <laughs> we, uh, we're, we're postponing it. Um, the, 
just to, to, to recap it, with apologies to people in the room who heard this already, uh, we, um, well, you know what, Dwayne, I should, I should let you talk a little bit about the, about the findings, because it was your original research that, that led, led to the discussion that ultimately led, I'm not, not blaming you, I'm just <laughs> saying that uh, you, you were the one who, who did the research, so you want to you set, it, set it up for us? Um, I will. I will try. Uh, I'm, I'm speaking on this tomorrow uh, at the DNSO Arc meeting, so I don't want to we'll give away too many details. Well, to we'll embargo the part. Yes, the yes, we'll. I was more worried about the people in the room here. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, nonetheless. Um, so, in 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 the process of you know work, working on the rollover, uh, as you said, for many years with you, it, it became clear that. One of the things that we really lacked was any way to know how how the uptake of a new trust anchor was was going on the internet. Do our resolvers, you know, properly uh, doing the uh, trust anchor updates and, and whatnot? And so I started a uh, internet draft a couple years ago that described a way that um, validators could sort of self-report their their trust anchor set up to uh, the, the the zone, the authority for for that for that zone. So in this case, the root zone. And um, so that, that, that became an RFC in April of this year. Uh, it was implemented in, in BIND actually uh, more than a year ago. So, it, so it's actually been out there for a while and starting to see some deployment. And based on that, that data that we, we get from that, uh, you know, we had to sort of conclude that, um, that, it, that it wasn't quite, quite ready. We weren't quite ready to, to do the rollover. That you know, there, was, there were some questions here about how well things were working and that um, maybe maybe we should postpone so right there there aren't um, a huge number of resolvers reporting but there's uh, there's a significant uh, enough amount that it uh, you know it caused us to take a look at the uh, a look at the data I mean in the month of September for example there have been uh, about 12,000 unique IP addresses reporting trust anchor configuration and then if you look at the number that are saying that they only have what we call KSK 2010 the KSK currently being used for the root zone, um, that number is uh, just under 600. So if you do the advanced math, that gets you about 5% um, reporting with only the old KSK. So now granted, that's 12,000 uh, out of you know hundreds of thousands, if not even more, uh, source of IPs that are doing validation out there. So you know we don't know how representative the sample is. On the other hand, these are the most recent versions of uh, resolver software. So we know that they're capable of doing the RFC 5011 automated trust anchor update protocol. So if they're configured properly, they should be capable of learning the new trust anchor um, all on their own. So that aspect of it is, is concerning. And until now, we haven't had any objective data. So if you, if you figure that uh, some data is better than no data, uh, all, of the, all of those uh, reasons led us to think that you know, we really need to understand what's going on more. And time is short. The, the rollover as originally scheduled would have been two weeks from yesterday. And if you think about the timing for this whole thing, the, the new key was introduced on July 11th. You have to wait a month for RFC 5011 to do its thing. So that, that gets us to early August. And then uh, you need to wait a little bit to see what's happening. And so you, you add up all that time, and it gets us pretty close to where we are today, trying to figure out, well, all right, time, not much time left before the rollover. We're not sure we really understand why this particular population, which we think should be in pretty good shape, is not. So what do, what do we do? And uh, we've always said as part of the messaging for the KSK rollover that we're just not in any hurry. 
Um, we've been very cautious and conservative about the project all along. I've done everything on a, a real methodical basis. There have been no out-of-band uh, root KSK ceremonies. There have just been one a quarter. And so, you know, along those lines, we thought, well, let's, let's just delay. There's really no harm in delaying. I think that if we had even just a few more weeks to find out what was going on, we maybe wouldn't have had to delay. But it just feels like there's not enough time, and we just really don't know what's going on. So the next step then is to we're going to literally publish the list of source IPs that are reporting the old KSK, and we really need the community's help to try to find out. So literally, I, I would love it if we could drill into every single one of these, which of course is not going to happen. But I, I would love to know what's going on. Are, are, we, are we looking at implementation uh, defect, defects? Are we looking at you know op operator error? Are we looking at um, people with old statically configured configurations, they've static configured the key, like binds trusted keys statement rather than the newer managed keys. So I think we have to get a handle on that before we can, in good conscience, proceed with the chaos cable. And so, Matt, does that mean that the, uh, with regard to the postponement, the current DNSX state of the root zone is frozen, or are you going to revert to just one key in the root zone? Well, that's a good question. Uh, we are not going to revert. Um, we're going to stick with um, keeping KSK 2017 published. So any new uh, validators that come up that support automatic updates, they should do the right thing in 30 days from when they come up. Uh, they should trust the new key, provided then they don't untrust it because of you know some, some other thing. We were talking today about, you know, you can have issues where if you have, say, a Docker image, you know, maybe the image comes up, you get the new key eventually after 30 days, and then you reboot the image with the new config, and it reverts to the way it was, and then you start the clock all over again. Uh, you know, in the modern world, the way that the kids do things these days with, with Docker images, maybe that's something that's uh, really going to be really going to be more of an issue. But we don't have any indication that there's any problem with the root zone in the state that it's in. Uh, it was on September 19th, so just a few days ago, that we added uh, for the first time a fourth key to the root DNS key set. So uh, a fourth, I should say, fourth 2048-bit key. No, this is the fourth. No, there have right. never been four keys before. Never. Right, yeah, there have never been four, let alone four 2048-bit keys. So as of right now, we're in the middle of a normally scheduled ZSK rule, which happens at the end and beginning of every calendar quarter. So uh, starting on July 11th, the, the key set went from uh, one KSK and one ZSK to two KSKs and one ZSK. And then starting on September 19th, now we're at two KSKs and two ZSKs. So that bumped us to a historical maximum size. I want to say the, the size of the DNS key response is at 14, 14 14, bytes? 14. 14, 14. So, um, you know, we, we were prepared to hear any reports of problems as a result of fragmentation or what, whatever. And if people are having issues, they're, they're, not, they're not speaking up about it. So uh, this is a really long-winded way to answer <laughs> your question, that we're going to leave the roots on the way it is because we just don't see any reason to, uh, to revert. Matt, are you going to publish additional KSKs maybe ahead of time? Is there an idea of having more than two out there? So that's a good that's a good question. Um, you know, do we want to publish more? I, I personally would love to see, if not, yes, I, I, I would like that. The, the issue we have is right now, uh, so this is really the concept of like a standby key. So if we ever had, ever had an emergency. The issue right now is it's hard to imagine any way to do that with the current KSK management uh, practices where you wouldn't have a key that would just share fate with the others. So in other words, I can't really imagine a realistic scenario under which you could have a primary key in use compromised, but the standby key remaining uncompromised. 
you know, say something happens, we have two key management facilities, one on the U.S. East Coast, one on the U.S. West Coast. You know, if something happens, somebody breaks into a safe. Well, you know, imagine your catastrophic scenario for compromise. It's going to affect all, all the keys. So what we really need to do that is we either need to change the, um, the policies so that we can have a key somewhere else, like, say, in escrow somewhere, you know, encrypted in an off-site, secure, uh, you know, an off totally offline, not even in an in HSM, but offline uh, at, at rest encrypted, or like a third key management facility. So you imagine if we had three KMFs, you could imagine having uh, two keys and two, and, uh, or a key and two, a key and two, and a key and another two. You can't see the ambiguous hand gestures I'm making here. Um, but the idea is then you could have keys that don't share fate. So you could have, have a, a site compromised and have key material elsewhere. So I, w I, would, I would love to be able to do that. It's, you know, there's, cert there's certainly discussion, and I'm sure this is gonna quickly get in uh, uh, above my pay grade at ICANN, but I'm sure there are no shortage of uh, countries and organizations that would be interested in hosting one of these key management facilities, and we currently don't have any outside the U.S. Uh, the reason they're inside the U.S. is when we signed the root zone for the first time in 2010. Um, this was before the um, IANA functions were uh, separated from uh, the oversight of the U.S. government, so, so the uh, Department of Commerce wanted the key to stay within the U.S. borders, but you know now we don't have that restriction, we have other options. So another another long answer, sorry. <laughs> Matt, the, one of the reasons that's often given for doing a key rollover, even if you have no concern that the key's compromised, is to test your operational procedures. Has this experience given you any thoughts about the future frequency of KSK roles? Well, y yes, yes and no. I mean, the, my standard answer to that when people have asked it is that why don't we get through the first one first? Um, but I mean, if, if nothing else, ICANN is driven by what our community and stakeholders say. So uh, in, in all honesty, I think that's something that uh, we'll want to work with the community on and listen to what the community says about, uh, about what the frequency should be. I mean, that, I, I think that needs to inform that decision. It's not something that ICANN should uh, make a decision on unilaterally. Uh, as long as we're talking about the future, another question is what about the algorithm? Should we add another algorithm? Should we do an algorithm role? You know, I think that's really that's really tied up in that question. Should the next KSK role after this next one should that be an algorithm role instead? I, you know, I, I don't know. I think it's something we need a lot of discussion about. Easy DSA, man. Well, <laughs> I think that makes a lot of sense. I mean, that would make it easier to the extent that we're concerned about packet size. That would make it easier to have more than one standby key. I mean, I'd love for a KSK role to be a non-event because we have a, a standby key that's been in the key set for a long time, for months and months and months, if not if not years, so that it's so that it's easy. Um, you know, I don't I don't know what the frequency is. I'm, I'm sort of reminded there was a period for those of you who watched the root zone um, and root name servers. There was this period from uh, it was like August of 1997. And I remember it was to November 5th, 2002, and I remember the date because it's the date my son was born. But that, there was that period for about five years where the root hints file did not change because there were no, no changes to the root name servers that they were not renamed, there was no renumbering or anything like that. So that's a pretty long time in system operations timescales, right? Five years where this really important file, if you run a name server, doesn't change. So I'm sure there were like a significant crop of administrators who just didn't know that there was this thing that they needed to care about. Yeah, right, and right. so now we're at seven years and counting with the uh, root KSK 
being static, being you know, the original one. So that, that, I think, is the biggest reason to roll, so that we don't get this idea that this thing is poured in concrete and never changes. Well, we're at about 28 minutes. What do you think? Now it's time for witty banter, unrelated yes. to DNS. Yes. <laughs> it's a standard, standard of the podcast. The DNS crowd is known for its witty banter, for its quick wit. Insert long pause. Yeah, we yeah. either t traditionally we talk about an upcoming movie or a Neil Stevenson book that we both read. What is uh, Matt's new title? Oh, Matt's new title. Uh, I believe it was it was High Priest of DNS. <laughs> that was your, your not not given to me by myself. No, no, no. <laughs> I in fact protested when I when I heard someone say that. Actually, what I gave was a list of demands, if I were to be called that, that I would need a robe and a scepter and a hat and a black helicopter and a volcano with a hinge on the top that opens to allow the black helicopter to, to get in and out. You know, it was funnier the first time. <laughs> you, get a better, you get a better response. Now they've heard it. Yeah. So. The Blade Runner 2049 coming yeah. out. Word of mouth is very positive. I think that folks are embargoed, they can't actually review it, but they can post to social media. Everything that I saw was over the moon, which is fantastic. It's great. I don't want something else from my youth destroyed in a sequel. No. <laughs> <laughs> or a prequel. As it oh, we, we will yeah. not refer to them. We will not, not discuss <laughs> that. The trilogy that shall not be named. Yes. So the last, last Jedi. Yes, yes. Com coming, it's increasingly closer. It is, it is. So it's we actually have a, a fair amount of science fiction to look forward to. Yeah. It's Christmas, right? What's the release date for The Last Jedi? It, I think it's Christmas season. I don't know when in particular. But the next one, episode, is it is it eight or nine? The one that's in trouble where they just booted the... That would be nine. The one they just, they booted the director. And JJ's back. Yep, JJ has, has uh, returned to the tiller. I'm looking out at it. All the people here. Nobody cares about this. It's just you and me talking. About this. <laughs> As it usually is. <laughs> well, should we wrap it up? Yeah. You All right. Bet. Well, thank you to our dozens of listeners for making it this far. Um, despite evidence to the contrary, we do answer your questions. So please send them to uh, Mr. DNS. That's MRDNS at ask-mrdns.com. And until next time, thank you very much. Bye bye. Bye bye.